Okay. Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. I know, as well as you know, that your pastor is not an apostle, nor is any preacher that I know of on this planet an apostle. The apostles are all dead and gone. What I say to you is not, quote, unquote, divinely inspired because I am a man. Uh, There can be problems and difficulties. That's why you are here to check me and I'm here to preach to you. But that being said, that we're not divinely inspired. and You'll never hear me say, well, I was sitting there at my study and the Lord spoke to me this week and told me what to say to you. That ain't happening. I've told you this in the past. If I ever start hearing a voice telling me what I need to preach, I'm going over to Woodland Hills in Monroe, and I'm checking myself in and let them medicate me because it's traced back to my mama and the health problems and mental issues that my mother had. But it's amazing how God in his providence and by his grace brings you to a subject that is important to you personally. Yeah, you know, like the Apostle Paul, and I think about this all the time. You know, we, we have a tendency to elevate these men in the Old Testament and the New Testament and think of them more highly than we ought to think. Moses, David, Isaiah, Paul, Peter, James, and John had one thing in common. And it's the same thing that we have in common. They were sinners. They were sinners saved by the grace and mercy of a sovereign, omnipotent, almighty God. And just like them, like the Apostle Paul, all God's children, and you know this all too well if you've been saved by His grace, we know and we understand and we feel and we live every moment of our life with the reality of who and what we still are. Sinners. Save sinners, justified sinners, redeemed sinners, children of the living God. You know, like we read this morning in the first John chapter three, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, but still sinners. Paul said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Kenny, I take that literally. I think we should take it literally. For the will's present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. He went on in that same shepherd and cried out the same cry that he, you and I both cry out every moment of our life. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Huh? And see, knowing that to be the case, and we do know it all too awfully, we often have a tendency to write hard things against ourselves, don't we? Thinking poor thoughts of ourselves. We think, well, I'm, maybe I'm not saved. Well, let me ask you this. What did you do to save yourself to begin with? How did you get yourself into the kingdom of God? Because I tell you what, if you got yourself into it, you can lose that. 
Somebody just got an earful of a noise when I tell. If if you if you sought the Lord and you found this Lord of your imagination, I promise you, you can lose that. But those whom He seeks, those whom He calls, those whom He brings to Himself, those He has included in His church, those whom He represented by His obedience unto death. They're sure and certain is the one who came and lived and died and rose again for them. In Psalm 40, the first part of verse 17, King David declared the same thing concerning himself. He says, but I am poor and needy. Think about that. I am poor and needy. But thank God he didn't stop there. He didn't stop with, I am poor and needy. He continued, yet the Lord thinks on me. This God that thinks on me, he says, this God that thinks on me, thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, my God. You see that? You think about what that means to, to those who know themselves to be sinful and evil and vile and totally unworthy in ourselves of anything but the unmitigated wrath of Almighty God. Isn't that what exactly David was declaring of himself? I'm poor and I'm needy. I got nothing. I got nothing to bring to it. I have nothing to give to this God. That word poor means weak, afflicted, wretched. The word translated needy means needing, needing help, needing deliverance from trouble, especially as being delivered by God. In other words, what? It depends on Him, my God, to deliver Him. So King David, who had by earthly standards greater wealth than any of his peers on planet at that time, lacking nothing in worldly good, says of himself, and all sinners without exception, especially those that are chosen of God, redeemed by the blood and righteousness of the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. To paraphrase what he's saying here is he's saying, I am weak, afflicted, wretched, needing help. That is to say, needing deliverance from trouble. And none can deliver me. The only one that can deliver me is who? Is God Almighty. This word that's so comforting to me in this statement that David makes is that in this state of helplessness and hopelessness and utter neediness, true God-given faith, you know what it enabled him to do? It enabled him to boldly declare, yet the Lord thinks on me. That word thinketh, it's an interesting word. In the original language, it means to think highly of or to hold in high esteem. Think about it. Poor and needy, the Lord thinks highly or holds me in high esteem. Now, if you know anything about the Scriptures, you've got to keep in mind this Psalm, Psalm 40, just like Psalm 20, 22, 23, 24, what are they? Psalm 69, they're Messianic Psalms. 
So the primary emphasis, the first and foremost thought or meaning of this passage is talking about what? Christ's execution in his messianic office as prophet, priest, and king. So what David's saying here under inspiration of God the Holy Spirit is he speaks of his Christ, the Redeemer. He's saying that though Christ was smitten and stricken of God, Isaiah 53 tells us, and though we didn't esteem him, we didn't hold him in a high view before our eyes, Christ declares that the Father, the Father, esteems him or thought highly of him as he fulfilled all righteousness. But here's the thing. What's said of Christ as our substitute and surety can be said just as truly of all those he represented. Listen to Paul. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? That you through his poverty. You see this? Through his poverty, what are we made? You might be made rich. Oh, poor and needy in ourselves, yet in Christ, think about it, we are esteemed or held in high regard by the true and living God. We read it in 1 John chapter 4 just a moment ago. As he is, so are we. Where? When we pass through the pearly gates when St. Peter says, come on in, no. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, with that as a backdrop, I want us to consider God's thoughts of his own. That's the title of this message this morning, God's Thoughts of His Own. And it's set forth in our text here in Jeremiah chapter 29. Look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I hope and I pray this morning that the Lord can give me comfort and can give you comfort from this passage this morning. First thing I'd have you to notice is this. I want you to consider whose thoughts we have brought here before us in this text. When it comes to this matter of the glory of God, self-righteous religious sinners always begin with a sinner. And you know what they do? They work backwards to God. But in reality, in this all-important matter of salvation, all of it begins with God. It centers with God. And you know what? It sees its completion where? In God. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure, you see this, for Thy pleasure, all things, everything that's ever been made, past, present, and future, they are and were created. There's no doubt Yet there are many things men and even angels can't delve into and can't understand. Moses declared the secret things belong unto the Lord. But those things which are revealed, he didn't stop. Secret things belong to the Lord. But the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, he writes, but those things which are revealed, 
belonging to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. In order to understand how important this is to the believer, justified saint, we have to keep in mind who Jeremiah declares has these thoughts. He says, For I know my thoughts towards you, saith who? The Lord. Words mean everything. And they do in the scriptures. Especially when we're talking about the word of God. And this word that he used here, saith the Lord, if you'll notice this, it, it, the word Lord's used all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, but particularly we're talking about in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's used sometimes, and it has a, a lot of times, it, it has a capital L and it has little O, little R, little D. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This, this is Genesis 18, verse 2. And said, My Lord, L, little O, little R, little D. If now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. And the word Lord that Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, used is Adonai. And it means master. It means king. It means ruler of one's household. And Christ is indeed the ruler of his own house as the father is of his own. But in the passage that we're looking at this morning, it, it's all capital letters. Notice that. He says, it's, I, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. L-O-R-D. Every time you see the word Lord all in capital letters, what's it always talking about? It's reference to Jehovah. That's, it's always that way. And the word Jehovah literally translated, you know what it means? It means the self-existing one. In other words, he didn't need anything when he did any of this, and he won't need anything after it's done with all of it. And when we talk about things like this, the thoughts of the Lord, folks, we're on holy ground. This word here, it's a reference to the great three-one God, including God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the one who thinks these thoughts toward his people, who is it? It's Jehovah. It's a self-existing God. It's the one who has infinite wisdom and possesses infinite power to accomplish his will. King David says, For I know the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letter, Jehovah. I know Jehovah is great and that our Lord is above all gods whatsoever. And that's, little, that's Adonai, that second referring to Christ. Our Christ is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, whatever the Jehovah pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deep places. So who's thinking these thoughts? Jehovah. But secondly, consider who Jehovah thinks these thoughts toward. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think, listen to this, Toward you, toward me, saith the Lord. These words recorded by Jeremiah were directed specifically and primarily. He was writing to who? National Israel. National Israel, the, the nation that the Lord had chosen out of all the nations to lead and guide and protect and sustain as a nation of people. And he did so because who was coming through them? 
the Lord Jesus Christ, Abraham's seed. And the scriptures make it clear that all men without exception, including the lost and the saved, what are they? They're all the Lord's, all of them. The scriptures also tell us that the Lord makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends his reign on the just and who else? On the unjust. Paul told them people on Mars Hill when he stood there, she said, for in him we live and move and have our very being. And these were unbelievers. These were pagan idolaters. And he says to them, in him, in this Jehovah that I'm about to tell you about, we live and move and have our very being. As certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. All of us come from the same lineage. God created us. But here's the reality. One group of sinners have never been loved by God. Never. Nor were they saved by Christ's accomplished work at Calvary. None of them. Listen to our Lord. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. And as we've discussed before, that word new means loved. I never loved you. Never did. Our Lord Jesus Christ said to the other group, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for who? For the sheep. Now we have to be perfectly clear. I tell you what, you talk about a life or death issue. If you think Christ died for all men and women without exception, we are worshiping different gods. You believe a different Christ. If you believe Christ shed his blood indiscriminately for all sinners and hope that some would be saved, it's another Christ and it's another gospel. And at this present time, you're without hope and without God in this world. But I tell you, there's another group of sinners, God's elect, who were chosen of God by the Father in Christ, before the foundation of the world. They were loved in Christ from all eternity. They were redeemed and justified by Christ at Calvary. And each one of them are born again in time by God the Holy Spirit. And God thinks these thoughts toward who? Toward them and them alone. Those the Holy Spirit moved the apostle Jeremiah to refer to with that pronoun what? You, I know my thoughts, I think toward you, not toward all, toward this specific group. So God's thoughts are toward the true Israel of God, toward his elect, those who are represented in type and in picture by the way God dealt with those people in that little group of individuals, national Israel. And let me say this before we move on. The same Jeremiah that wrote this concerning the thoughts of God toward his own in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, he said this concerning God's same, the same group of people. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. What kind of love? An everlasting love. And every one of those he's everlasting in love, therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn who? Those that he's loved forever. Here's the third thing. Consider the thoughts God thinks toward the object. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, 
to give you an expected end. The word Jeremiah used translated thoughts, it means device or plan or purpose. The word think that Jeremiah used means device, plan, get this, charge, reckon, or impute. It's the same exact word Paul, Dave, King David used in Psalm 32, verse 1, blessed is the man on whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. So the Lord by the prophet declares, I know my device, I know my plan, I know my purpose that I impute or charge or reckon to my people. Folks, listen to me. The salvation of God's elect is not a mere afterthought or a contingency plan that God came up with after he saw man's sin and sinfulness. Before there was ever a sinner in Adam, you know what there stood? There stood a Savior, a Redeemer, a surety, a substitute, and a Savior named Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, that said, let me give you three things real quick concerning these thoughts. And here's the thing. First of all, God's first thought toward his people, what does he say it is? He said, my first thought toward these people is what? Peace. Peace. That word Jeremiah used, you know what it is? It's shalom. And it means completeness or soundness. And here's the thing. God cannot declare peace with sinners indiscriminately not even based on his love. In order for God to declare peace to his people, what has to happen? God has to be reconciled to the sinner, but not only does God have to be reconciled to the sinner, but the sinner has to be reconciled to God. It's peace with God. You know what? It came at the expense of God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote, Therefore, being justified by faith, listen to this, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He told those at Colossus, and having made peace, how? Through the blood of the cross. He told them in Ephesus, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments obtained, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, how? By the, by the cross. Here's the second thought. It's a negative. He said, I, don't, I think peace toward him, not of evil. That's the next thing he said. There's no doubt that God's redeemed fully know and understand that if God were to enter in with judgment with us based on the best obedient, the end result, what would it be? It'd be eternal condemnation. King David declared, Lord, if thou shouldest mark my iniquity, you charge me with my sin, who can stand? Who can stand? This word translated in our text and not evil is one word which means giving pain, misery, and adversity. Even though we fully deserve pain, misery, and adversity for our sin. 
because of our being put in a place of reconciliation and peace based on the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, God does not deal with us according to our sin, ever. Again, listen to King David. He hath not dealt with us after our sin. Aren't you thankful for that? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And I have always loved the way the Holy Spirit moved David to write this. As far as the east is from the west, not the north and the south. Because I tell you what, you get on a globe, you start going north. When you get to the North Pole, you go over the top of that pole, what are you doing? You're going south. But if you get on that globe and you start going east, you tell me when you start going west. Or if you go west, you tell me when you start going east. Because you always, what it, it's eternal. He's, it's, that's how God has dealt with our sins. But then there's one last thought God thinks toward his people. To give you an expected end. Now think about this and we'll close. Since God's at peace with us, and since he doesn't ever think evil thoughts of us, seeing we're one with his son in the eyes of God's law and justice, this is the planned and purpose result. That word give means to bestow freely or to put upon one. And the words you and expected, one word in the original, it means hope, ground of hope, things hoped for are the outcome. And the word in, you know what I mean? It means exactly what it, the hindermost part, the backside. And let me paraphrase this last verse. Bestowing or granting or giving you a hope and expectation of all you could ever hope for. Our desire spiritually. Abraham's hope was a perfect illustration of our hope. Abraham believed God. He didn't believe in God. He believed God. But he believed that God was faithful to fulfill his promise. And it was imputed to him for righteousness. Not his faith. What was imputed to him? The object of his faith, that one whom he believed. I know Paul stated it, I know whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. But one last thing. God's the one doing the bestowing or granting. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. It's not your thoughts toward him. Saith the Lord... What's my thoughts? Well, I think they love me. No, thoughts of evil, thoughts of, of peace, not evil. To bestow freely unexpected end. Salvation for God's elect is, you know, it's an expected end. It's an expected end. And it's free from fear, it's free from anxiety, and it's free from drama. Why? Because it all rests in Him all the time. I hear people all the time on social media talk about y'all put too much emphasis on salvation completely and fully in Christ. Is there salvation anywhere else? I told them in the Sunday Bible class hour this morning, they, one of the greatest errors in false religion is that they encourage men and women to come to Christ for justification 
and freedom from the law. And then they turn around after they get you to make a profession accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior to deliver you from your past sin. They turn right around and what do they do? They hang a lodestone around your neck called the Ten Commandments. See, they don't ever hang the whole law. What, what, they, they hang the moral law around your neck and say, this is for your sanctification. This is how you're made holy. And as I told them this morning, I'll say it again, because to me this is so important. If the law can't justify you, and it can't, how in the world can it sanctify you, make you holy? Huh? That's a question that needs to be answered from the Scriptures. Of God are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's deliverance from the body. As it's written, he that glorieth, let him glory one place. Where? Let him glory in the Lord. May we ever and always be those who glory in Christ and his accomplished redemption for us as our Savior, mediator, brother, and friend. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you till we see you next Lord's Day. Buddy, if you would, dismiss us, please, sir.